Listening Dog Media. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Heal is Real podcast with Abby Eastwood and Debbie Mack. Hi and welcome to the Heal is Real podcast. My name's Debbie Mack and this is... Abby Eastwood. Ah, oh, there she is. And uh, this episode is all about you. It's all it about is. you, love. All about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about my journey with uh, breast implant illness, which went on for a very, very long time. So I'm, I'm different to Debbie. Debbie's story is only uh, six months, but mine is actually 15 years. So I is will be. Is it 15 or sto- is it 11, Abby? <laughs> <laughs> yes. What we discovered is I thought it was 11 years that I had my implants in when actually my maths is terrible and I had them in for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, that's another extra four years of hell that you forgot about there. Um, yeah. Should we start from the very, very beginning of your story and um, why at what age were you? 20? Oh, God. Now you're going to make me do maths again. I think I was probably about 24. Can we just go with that? Because it will take me a while to work out exactly. I mean, it was 2001. So that's when I had my implants put in. Um, It was September of 2001. And the reason why I wanted them put in was um, there were many reasons, actually. So I was always very conscious of being flat chested. And when I was a teenager... I got ribbed a lot about it from male friends and from my female friends as well. Um, and I think one of the big things that stood out really? was I was on holiday with one of my... Yeah, I was stood uh, on holiday with one of my friends um, and we were stood around a swimming pool wearing our bikinis and obviously I didn't have anything in mine and a group of lads were like, oh, why is your mate got no tits? And I think for me, mm. you know, I kind of probably really fancied one of them. And it was just like a slap around the face. And I just lost all my confidence at that point and really became quite paranoid about my upper half and having no form and not feeling feminine or sexy. Um, and then that kind of bled into relationships as well as I got older. So I would always be very concerned when I, you know, got a new boyfriend, if that would put them off me. And then when I got into TV and was a presenter and started doing magazine shoots. Um, That also became quite problematic for me mentally with it all because I would be wearing chicken fillets in my bras. I was always worried live on TV that maybe one might fall out. (laughs) Or, um, oh my God, can you imagine? And then um, (laughs) when I did an FHM shoot in Dubai, 
I, I mean, if you look at, if you Google, you'll see that FHM shoot and you'll see me in that bikini. You can tell there's chicken fillets in there. You know, I'm just wearing a very thin bikini top and inside there is the chicken fillets. And you can see there, you know, it doesn't look like breasts. <laughs> so with all of that, when I got home from that shoot, it was just like, that's it. I'm done. I, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, and I really, really want to have boobs. So I set the wheels in motion and uh, ended up in Harley Street and found a surgeon and ended up on the operating table in September 2001 and had very small boobies put in because I didn't want to go big and be um, and it to be very obvious. I wanted it to sort of be the same size as what I was <laughs> portraying with my chicken fillets so that it was very natural. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And yeah. then once I had them done, so there was no question about having them done. And, and I, they were sold to me as being safe. Um, my surgeon had said he'd had women that have had them in for over 25 years. So sometimes they don't need to come out. The only thing I need to be worried about mm. is if they go hard where you have that capsular contracture. Um, and then if that happened, I just needed to massage them <laughs> and they would and that would heal it. Mm. Um <laughs> And so that was it. You know, as far as I was concerned, completely safe. Um, and it was the early noughties. And it was a time where a lot of women were having breast implants. You know, we it was fairly obvious in the papers who had had it done, but it wasn't something that we all talked about. We didn't, it wasn't an open conversation. Um, and so, yeah, many I of the um, pop stars actually denying that they had them mm -hmm. done at all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Even it was completely obvious. Very obvious for some of them, yes. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love them. Once they were in, oh, my goodness. You, uh, honestly, I am surprised, Debbie, that I wasn't arrested for flashing, to be honest, um, because I showed them <laughs> to anyone and, and everyone that would look. If I was in a club or if I was in the back of a cab, you know, if my friends are like, oh, you've had them done. I'd be like, yeah, have a look. Up came the top. <laughs> so um, I absolutely love them. And um, I didn't think of any symptoms within that first year. But within that first year... I got pregnant and um, by 2003, I had my first child. So any symptoms I might have had in that time, I would have totally associated with pregnancy and becoming a new mum. Um, so I wouldn't be able to say if, I, if any of the symptoms appeared straight off, if that makes sense. This is what we said in the uh, introduction to this podcast, because women go through so many different things, whether it be becoming a parent or going through the menopause or just being really busy with work. Um, this is why it's so hard to pinpoint where mm. the symptoms actually do start with breast implant illness. Yeah, so true. I mean, you know, as a new mum, you're exhausted. And when you're pregnant, you feel sick, you feel tired, you feel lethargic. So the first time that I suppose I really thought it was an, uh, that I had any issue with my boobs would have been 11 years on, which is what I've worked out today after my terrible maths of only thinking I had them in for 11 years when actually I had them in for 15. <laughs> um, so what happened was I started to get a burning sensation uh, under my armpit, uh, pains around my chest. And it went on for a while. And so I decided to go 
and see a surgeon. So my original surgeon by this point had passed away, uh, so I couldn't go back to him. So I found a, a, a new surgeon in London and went and had a chat with him. And, and he had a had a good feel and had a look around and, and said, do you know what? They feel fine. I don't think you've got anything to worry about. You could probably keep them in. Um, if you want to change them, you can. But before we do any of that, um, I think what you do need to do, and I'm going to refer you now um, back to your GP because I just want to make sure that it isn't cancer. So I left his office sort of feeling a little bit bewildered. But obviously it wasn't cancer. Um, And so I carried on as normal. He had said then that it was fine to keep them in. There was nothing wrong with them, um, which is weird because I was going through those pains. And I obviously just listened to him because he's a surgeon and knows best. Um, Mm -hmm. And... I then just carried on for another four years. Um, And that was, I think I had pains and I know in that four years I wasn't feeling well. I mean, I wasn't ever very well anyway during that entire 15 years. I was always ill and there was always something wrong with me to the point where everyone thought I was a bit of a hypochondriac. But it wasn't until 2015 in August where... One day, my arm, it was, I think it was my right arm, was so painful that I couldn't even move it. It felt broken. Um, and it was agony. And I was crying my eyes out in pain because I didn't know what was going on and having to hold my arm and nobody could come near me or touch me. So we ended up at the doctors and they had a look at it and they said, Oh, we're not sure what it is. Let's give you some sort of painkillers. You know, it might be frozen shoulder or whatever it was. And they sent me away. Well, two or three days later, my other arm did the same thing. So now I've got both arms in agony. And um, I'm actually quite scared at this point because I'm thinking, what the hell is going on? And I go back to the doctors. They said, right, I think we need to do some blood tests. So they took some blood, sent me away and said, you know, we'll get the results back and come back in in a couple of days. So I went back in in a couple of days and sat down in the doctor's surgery and he looked at the screen and he looked at all of my results. And he said, oh, I'll be back in a minute. And he went off and then there's two doctors come in and they sit down and they said, right, um, we're not sure what's going on, but your bloods are not right. Um, we think it might be leukaemia, but we're not sure. Um, so we're going to send you to hospital and um, we'll get you we'll get you checked out. So obviously I did not have leukaemia and I ended up in um, rheumatology um, and saw a rheumatologist who did a whole load of bloods on me. And um, he called me back in with all the results and all my bloods were normal by one result, which is called an anti-CCP count. And if you have a high anti-CCP count, anything over, well, back then, I think it was anything over 10, and obviously measurements change now. Um, Mine was something like 249 or something. So it was really high. And that showed that I had rheumatoid arthritis. So he sat me down and said, yes, we think you've got RA, It's an incurable disease. Um, It can shorten your life. I need to put you on a chemo drug, which is the gold standard called methotrexate. And you will be on it for at least two years if we can get you into remission. And if we can't, you'll probably be on it for the rest of your life. Um, Now, by this point, which I haven't said, my whole body is pretty much 
going into spasms all over the shop. So my arms would then feel fine, but then it would go into my legs where I couldn't walk and I couldn't get to the bathroom and I couldn't, it, to walk was agony and I would be crying out in pain. So is this all the time at this point? You are in pain literally all the time or Pretty is much. it coming along in waves? It, it's all mm. the time. Wow. It was, poor thing. It was, it was by this point pretty much all the time but the waves would be it would migrate to different parts of my body so I didn't know which part of my body was going to fail me each day is how I would see it so I was always petrified of what I was going to wake up with would it be a pain in my arm that felt broken or would it feel like my legs were broken would it be one leg would it be both legs would it be um would it be my wrists it was so debilitating. I spent most of my time in bed, most of my time crying and thinking that this was going to be the rest of my life because I was told it was an incurable disease. So I did contemplate killing myself at certain points, um, which is actually was probably one of the hardest things um, when you have two kids. Oh, um, Abby, I, uh, Abby, I so it was, I, it was, it was, it was cuddle you. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty hard. And, and to say this wasn't over a very long period of time, you're talking, this was over a period of about three or four months. So it seems quite short, but when you are within that bubble and people are telling you that this is forever, you, you take, you take every second and feels like every second feels like a year. It's just it's mm. it's so long. And I've got a, you know at this point I've got a toddler running around asking is mummy okay and getting into bed saying mummy I'm going to make you better, you know. And I can't get up and make her dinner, and I'm having to get my eldest to make dinner because my husband's at work. It was you know we didn't have family nearby. I wasn't in a very I wasn't in a great position where I had family that could come and swoop in and look look after me. It was very much we were on our own trying to deal with this situation. Um, so I was put on methotrexate um, and I had to go through a series of blood tests to make sure that my liver and kidneys and all my functions were fine because methotrexate is obviously a chemo drug and it's going to affect them. So, yeah, so I went on methotrexate. I didn't really want to go on it, but I, at this point was in so much pain and agony. I was on steroids, uh, steroid tablets, which my little one would call the angry tablets because I would rage on them. Um, and you would take the tablets on a Monday and I would take six of these tiny little tablets. And on the Tuesday, if you've ever been pregnant and had morning sickness, I think that is the best way to describe it. I had nausea from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to sleep. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And it was only on Sunday where I'd start to feel OK again. But knowing that I had to take the tablets on Monday. And this went mm. on for weeks. So not only am I now in absolute agony in my body because nothing is really changing and I'm not getting out of bed and I am now exhausted by feeling nauseous and sick all the time. It was just like I could barely walk. I was shuffling like an old woman. It was coming up for Christmas. The whole thing, basically, Debbie, was an absolute shit show and I could not see the light at the end of the tunnel at all. 
And at no point did you think this could have anything to do with your breast implants. I realise that at this point you've had them in for over 11 years. So uh, I'm assuming, I only had mine for six months, so I don't know, but I'm assuming that after that time they become part of you and and, and you may even forget that you've even had it done because you've had yeah. them in for so long and they become part of you. Did you make that association or was there a tiny alarm bell that thought maybe? No. Nothing. There wasn't any correlation between my implants and what was I was going through at all. And I woke up in January after Christmas and I was just like, this is it. I, I, I literally can't live like this anymore. I'm crying all the time. I'm not fun to be around. And I noticed that my left breast had gone rock solid. And mm. I was like, bloody hell, what the hell is that? And I picked up my laptop because obviously it was at the side of my bed because I never got out of bed pretty much at that point. And I don't know what possessed me, but I Googled breast implant hardness. I think breast implant going hard and autoimmune disease, something along those lines. And suddenly all these little things started to pop up like breast implant illness. And it was women who had said that they had been diagnosed with an autoimmune condition, not necessarily RA. It could have been lupus or it could have been um, some form of like IBS or... It was all kinds of things that were popping up and it wasn't much, but it was enough for me to really go into it and obviously want to read more. Mm. And it was when I clicked on Nicole's website. So that's Nicole runs the Facebook group in America and she has been running it for absolutely years. And she had prior to Facebook had started a website where she had listed symptoms that women were finding they were getting from their breast implants. And that was my light bulb moment. When I saw that list of symptoms, I was like, oh, my God. I have been ill through my implants for 15 years. Are you mm. fucking kidding and me? And how did you, what emotions did you have in that moment? Were you excited at the thought that you could see an end to it by getting them out? Were you angry? Did you have a whole bunch of emotions that you didn't know how to deal with? I wasn't angry. I think I was excited. I mean, the fact that I had been trying to Google a cure for probably what had been two months, the fact that I had absolutely nothing in my life. I mean, that's probably not the best way to describe it. The fact that I had no life. I had no life. My whole life had literally just the rug had been pulled from under me. It was like I don't know. It was as it was as literally like a miracle had happened. If I'm honest, I think that's the best way to describe mm. it. And the first thing I did was email my rheumatologist and say, "I've got breast implants. You don't think this is connected, do you?" And he came back with, "No." Ugh. How frustrating! Continue to take your medication. It's got absolutely nothing to do with them whatsoever. And I thought. Bollocks, not listening to you. Right, okay. <laughs> and this is what I love about you. <laughs> and my husband was like, okay, she's on a mission. And honestly, so let me let me go through the symptoms, right, that I went down on Nicole's list that I ticked off. And when you hear my symptoms, it will be like, oh my God, how did she not realise sooner? But because no one had ever told me that implants were could make you ill why would I know and why would I have ever have put the two together I wouldn't because obviously social media was only kind of kicking off at that point you know the web the world wide web 
had only just kind of started to kick off itself when I first had them put in. It wasn't, you know, the connection that we all have with everybody now didn't exist. So I joined the Facebook group straight away and um, started typing out my story. And the response I got from women was just incredible. Like, you've definitely got breast implant illness. We need to get those out of you immediately. So... My symptoms, right, let me get my little list because I don't want to miss anything out for anybody that's listening to this story and going, that sounds like me, because that's all I wanted to hear was other people's stories. So chronic fatigue, I think, was probably the top one for me. Now, I was always saying that I felt tired. Um, I would take vitamins. I'd try supplements. I'd try everything to try and pep me up a little bit, even to the point where I was eating so much sugar in the afternoon and drinking Coca-Cola to keep me going. But nothing touched the sides. I was always tired. Um, Hair loss. Now, I was always asking my hairdresser, do you think that, you know, is this normal to lose this much hair when you brush your hair or in the shower? And he was like, well, it might be. But he never really truly understood because I didn't ever take him in the shower with me, obviously. It'd be a bit weird and say, look, (laughs) (laughs) look at all of this hair. So, um, you know, I was losing a lot of hair when I was when I was washing my hair. And I'm not saying it comes out in clumps. It was coming out in a lot of strands. So what I would say I now get maybe a week in the plug hole is what I was getting a day. So a lot mm. of hair. Uh, itchy skin. I was constantly scratching my body all the time. I was changing detergents. I was changing creams. I was changing so many things, but nothing ever did it. And I was always itching, scratching everywhere. Mm. Um, My skin was dry. My skin was flaky and no creams under the sun were moisturising me. And I mean, I spent a small fortune on trying to make my body lovely and shiny and smooth, but it just didn't work. Um... And also another itching thing I had was itching in my inner ear. That drove me nuts. And I would always be having like a Q-tip and scratching in my ear like, oh, my God. And it was insane. Um, This one, this one's a good one, the dizzy spells. So one morning I woke up and the whole room was spinning and I could barely get up. I couldn't stand up straight without kind of going over to the side of the room like someone had just spin me around like a spinning top. I felt so sick and nauseous. It was horrific to the point where I was on the floor having to crawl if I needed to go to the loo. And this wiped me out for a week. Went to the doctors uh, when it first started. And um, of course, this happened on a Saturday. So I had to see an emergency doctor. Um, and he said, think you've got labyrinthitis. So that's an inner ear balance thing. And so I was like, okay. He said, yep. So it could go away. Some people get it and then it disappears. You never get it back. Or it could be something you have for a really long time. I was like, okay. Yeah, a friend of mine actually had labyrinthitis and she was told, well, it did actually last 18 months for her. Um, I think that's the limit to how long Mm. it is supposed to last. But I know from you that it lasted for four years because that's not what it was. It wasn't that. I mean, yeah, it went on for years and years. And I did go and see um, consultants. They gave me um, special labyrinthitis tablets. Um, But it would come on really randomly out of nowhere and then disappear again. And then so I never knew when it was going to come on and when it wasn't. Um, And then there was one incidence where we were on a plane going on holiday and uh, it triggered it. And I think 
I filled up six of those sick bags uh, on the descent into Dubai and um, was taken off by paramedics because they thought there was something severely wrong with me. And that, that was the whole holiday was wiped out because I I just had it for the entire time I was there. Um, so, yeah, so that was the dizzy spells. Um I had brain fog, really bad brain fog. And in fact, actually, just before the rheumatoid arthritis kicked off, I nearly went back to my GP to say that I was concerned that I had some form of Alzheimer's because it was becoming so bad. I was forgetting friends' names. I was forgetting all kinds of things. And it was ridiculous. I mean, you know, I'd be stood there and I'd be like, I just want to introduce you to... I mean, I've known this person for like 20 years. How do I not know your name? And it was embarrassing. This happened to me at a party. This happened to me at my friend's 30th birthday party. And my uh, old producer was there, who I haven't seen for years. But I I worked with her every day for about two years. And I wanted to introduce her to my husband. No idea. And I had to say to one of my other friends, what's her name? And he looked at me as if to say, are you actually being serious? How have you forgotten her name? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So brain fog? Brain fog, difficult concentration, all of those things happened. Mm. And that was over a period of years. So I, when I was present, well, when I was presenting sort of towards the the end um, of my presenting career, after I had my, my first daughter, I didn't really do that much work because I spent most of my time bringing her up and being mum at home. But when I did go to work, I was very conscious that my memory was not very good. So I do think that kicked in quite quickly. Um, What else did I have? So muscle pain and weakness, that happened quite a bit. And obviously the joint pain came in at the end. I did have some joint pain in the time, in the period of the 15 years. I remember my thumbs hurting and going to the doctor saying, why are my thumbs hurting? They feel really, really sore. Um, So that definitely had started, but obviously the RA kicking in was a, the big kind of crescendo of my body just giving up. Never got any good sleep. Poor sleep was horrific. Always had, felt like I just didn't have a very good night's sleep. I think I did sleep on some occasions, but I never felt like I'd slept. And then other occasions, I just couldn't sleep at all. So insomnia for sure. Um, big gastro intestinal and digestive issues that was always a huge problem um i ended up having an internal bleed uh when i was in south africa now i put that down to the fact that my co-presenter had been mauled by a lion that's a completely other story um okay (laughs) um i put that down to the stress of that but actually once they started putting cameras inside me and i had to have colonoscopies and stuff they started noticing that i had um a few little issues down there um Then I read on her list of being intolerant to heat. Now, I could not last two seconds in a hot bath. I couldn't handle it. My whole body was just like, nope, get out. It's too hot. Um, So Mm. I had a big intolerance to heat. Uh, I was always ill with colds. I must have had colds and fluey symptoms at least two or three times a year. Always poorly. Um, I had ringing in my ears as well as itching. Um, Sudden intolerances to food, uh, yep, all the time. I suddenly became allergic to chocolate, caffeine, um, headaches. Now, this was another time I ended up in hospital via an ambulance. Uh, They thought I had meningitis and they nearly did a lumbar puncture on me, uh, only to find all of my tests and results came back normal and I was sent home, even though I was still crying and saying that my head felt like it was splitting open. I ended up having MRIs because I had these weird uh, headaches all the time and they said that they just put it down to migraines. 
Um, and we talked about my tender lymph nodes and stuff because obviously that's where I ended up seeing that doctor and he said that I might have cancer. Um, and I had a pain and burning sensation under my arm. Um, then the anxiety and depression kicked in and panic attacks. They would come out of nowhere. Driving down the motorway, suddenly I'd have a panic attack and have to pull over. Um, so they were all my symptoms and obviously ending with me being diagnosed with an autoimmune condition. So that was my very long list of symptoms that I realised when I went onto Nicole's website that had happened over 15 years that were connected to my implants. So obviously the best thing I could do was get them out. That was your light bulb moment. You knew what you had to do. And I suppose just the feeling of, uh, oh, I can fix this must have been... Oh, it must have been fantastic. So uh, you then started researching and looking into getting your boobies out. Tell me about that. I started to look at different surgeons that could, what we we knew then was called explanting. But obviously this word was very new back in 2016. BII was not a thing in 2016 and it certainly was not a thing in the UK. There was barely any surgeons that even knew what explanting was. I mean, they knew about removing breast implants because women wanted them out, but not for reasons, for health reasons, let's say. So that was a real struggle. And I was on the American group. There wasn't any support group in the UK by this point. Um, and that's why I started the Facebook group over here with Sandy, because I realised there's got to be other women who are in the same boat as Sandy and I that need help and need to have that UK-based um, surgeon or whatever it was that you needed uh, during your recovery. Um, and that's why we set up the Facebook group. But for me, I went through four different consultations with surgeons and it wasn't until I saw the last one who was just all-encompassing and lovely and said, do you know what? It could very well be your implants. I have seen this before and I'm more than happy to take them out and I'm more than happy to take the capsule out because that was a big thing uh, was to remove the capsule because I didn't know whether my implants were ruptured. Um, and I also wanted to get the scar tissue um, tested uh, to make sure that there wasn't any um, any cancer or anything lingering in there because BIA-ALCL at that point wasn't really discussed, but it was starting to come out of the woodwork and there were people on the American group discussing it. So for me, it was a no-brainer that I needed to find a surgeon that was prepared to remove my implants and the capsule. Um, and I was really fortunate to find someone local to me. Um, for me, once I'd found him, it was just like brilliant. And when can you do it? And he said, I can do it in the next two weeks. And so... I got myself off of methotrexate, which was a really tricky conversation with my rheumatologist who did not want me to come off of it. Um, but I did. I came off of that. I came off the steroids and um, I sat back and waited those very long two weeks before my explant. And it was the best day ever. So you were very excited when you turned up at the hospital that morning, explant day. Um, how did the operation go and your recovery immediately afterwards? So the operation was a breeze, to be honest with you. You know, once you're under anaesthetic, it feels like you're only there for a second anyway, doesn't it? It's so quick. Yeah. Um, and I was home that day and um, I was left with absolutely nothing. As one of the surgeons said to me that I went to visit, he said, you're going to have spaniel's ears. And he was right. I did have spaniel's ears when um, I came out of the surgery. But at that point, I didn't care. You know, 
at this point, what he didn't understand was I am in a world of pain. I am spending every day in bed. Mm. I need to get myself better. I have two children that I want to spend time with and a life that I want to live. And there is nothing more um, awakening than having your health taken away from you and realising how important it is. And when they say you don't know how good you got it until you lose your health, it's the God honest truth. Your health is everything and something really that is. should be so nurtured and tended and looked after. Um, so I had a shower, I think it was about 24 hours after I had had the operation because I had all these waterproof um, plasters all over me and I washed my hair and that was the first symptom I noticed to go. My hair wasn't falling out within 24 hours. Nothing came out, not even one strand when I washed my hair came out that day. Um, all my nails were shiny and looking incredible. My skin was glowing. It was it was just as if my body just had that like ah oh, moment of at last yeah, I'm not yeah. under attack anymore. You got them out. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so yeah, they were the first symptoms that I noticed to go. However, it did take a really long time to heal for me. It wasn't overnight. And I can't say how quickly all the other symptoms disappeared because because of the way that breast implant illness works, where the symptoms come and go, you never knew whether it, one was going to come back or not. And the only thing I can say now being, uh, what am I now, six years on post-explant, is that I don't have any of those symptoms at all. Mm. I have got none of them. I've never had labyrinthitis dizzy spell episode ever again. I don't have insane, crazy headaches. I don't itch all over. I don't have itching in my ear. My chronic fatigue went, I think that did pretty much go quite quickly. Um, the poor sleep, I don't have that. Um, I mean, I can have a long, hot bath now. I can lie in a bath from the super duper ridiculously hot until it goes cold I don't have to get out within a minute so that intolerance to heat was probably quite instant actually to go as well because I did notice that um, and obviously the tender lymph nodes and my tender boobs that obviously went the minute they came out so yeah I mean the brain fog I was able to have a conversation and remember people's names um, it was. It, I would imagine it was fairly instant that my symptoms went, but I didn't really realise it because I needed year. I needed a couple of years to see that they weren't going to come back. If that made sense, because they always just came sporadically whenever they wanted to. It is interesting, isn't it? Because all of the, um, the well, the medical professionals that are so dismissive of breast implant illness and. <laughs> To, to hear your story and obviously other ladies' stories as well, including mine, where we've had them out and we get better. You can't have manifested everything that happened to you over the course of those 15 years. I'm sorry. No, no one can make themselves that ill. No. Let's just remember, I never knew that breast implant illness existed. So how I'd never associated all of those symptoms with my implants at the time, or I didn't manifest those symptoms because I was like, oh, is it my breast implants? They might be causing that because it wasn't a thing. And I also find it interesting that um, you were told on more than one occasion to don't Google it. 
Mm. Knowledge is power. This is what the PA to my surgeon said. Step away from the internet, sweetie. No, actually, knowledge is power. And uh, yeah. there are studies, case studies that you can read that have been done by professionals. There's not enough research about breast implant illness, but the, there's enough online to realise that this is actually a thing. How much money do you think you spent over the years on going to various specialists wow. and buying all sorts of products? I honestly couldn't, I couldn't say. I honestly couldn't say. And how much have I cost the NHS going backwards and forwards to the doctors saying that I feel ill all the time as well? And the amount of ambulances that have taken me into hospital, um, the amount of MRIs and scans and and, um, tests for labyrinthitis. And I have absolutely no idea how much I have A, cost the NHS or B, cost myself. And I would imagine it is thousands. and that's what's so disheartening because I wouldn't want to cost the NHS thousands. If I had known, I would have just had them removed in the first place. It's that simple. And that's why Sandy and I set up the Facebook group because we wanted to raise awareness for women and so that they also had informed decisions and informed consent if they were deciding to have the implants put in, but also informed decisions if they wanted to have them out and what was best for them. Um, interestingly, my capsules they were sent off and they came back that um, there was silicon debris in them. So I am so glad that I didn't keep the capsules in for me because that would have continued to have had some form of uh, inflammation around that for sure because your body, as far as I'm aware, cannot remove silicon debris. It's not easy to break it down. But then again, they don't know because the research hasn't been done on it. More research, please. Also, did you get back in touch with your rheumatologist after you'd explanted and your symptoms had disappeared? What did he have to say if you did? So I went back to him and had a a meeting with him. And let's just say um, he told me he has 60,000 patients and he knows what he's doing. And I basically don't. And just said, I need to go on the methotrexate, otherwise I'm going to regret it and I'm going to be um, basically crippled. Um, I am six years on, I'm still not on methotrexate and I am absolutely fine. I do have occasional uh, pains, um, but it seems to be, put it this way, whatever it is that's going on in my body, I have it under control. It doesn't last very long and I am not now crippled and in bed. I am boxing, I'm playing golf, I am going to the gym, um, I'm living my best life. So I have gone from being someone who was completely debilitated and in bed and unable to even move to someone that can now do everything because I took the chance in removing my breast implants and taking heed of what other people had experienced and the anecdotal evidence surrounding them. And I am so grateful to Nicole for setting up that group because if it wasn't for her, I definitely wouldn't be sitting here now. And the group has raised awareness, which is what we're hoping to do with this podcast as well. Um, and it is for all of those women who like you and with mm-hmm. me as well, because my original surgeon was very dismissive about BII. One of the reasons I decided to go for it was because he said it was so rare. Anything you do has slight risks, he said. But I've only had two women come in that uh, have said they had symptoms and they never came back. I think they manifest it. It's people that worry about it that get it which is one of the reasons why I didn't go back to him 
Um, but I think that for all of those women who have experienced dismissive medical professionals, that's mm. what this is all about to, uh, to show that it is a thing. Yeah, it is. And, and that is the trouble is you will come across dismissive consultants. I came across uh, many, many from my doctor to my rheumatologist to anybody that I came across in the medical world that I needed help from. They dismissed it. Um, and that was a very lonely path. And it's very hard because we are brought up to believe that the medical experts are the experts and we need to listen to them. Um I, I do listen to I do listen to them now, but I also go away and I do my own research and I work out what's best for for me. And that's the one thing I would say is that no one knows your body better than you, and you should always go with your gut instinct. If you think it's right for you, do it. Yeah, and GPs need to know that if there are women mm. coming in, they need to ask the question: Have you yeah. got some kind of medical device? Have you got? something foreign in your body because your body could be reacting to it yeah oh it is it's yeah this is why we're doing this podcast and my story's next isn't it and then we're going to plow on with talking to other people that have been uh, suffering from breast implant illness we're going to talk to uh, surgeons as well we've got lots in store yeah, and what I love is it's of such a varied range of stories from women as well about, you know, how long they've had them uh, in dwell, which is where they're in, inside you, you know, how long their symptoms lasted, how quickly they recovered. It's, you know, everybody's story is different, yet the theme running underneath is exactly the same. The Heal is Real podcast. So thanks for listening to my story and our second episode of the Heal is Real podcast. We'll be back next time sharing Debbie's story of her journey with breast implant illness. And of course, we really, really want to hear from you if you have a story to tell as well. You can get in touch with us via our Instagram page. Just search for the Heal is Real podcast.